Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Jesus commanded his church to go out and make disciples, and part of fulfilling that mission involves sharing the gospel. After all, in order to believe the message, first you have to hear it. In theology, the word we use to describe sharing the gospel is evangelism. That's the subject of today's episode. We're going to get into Grace's unique approach to talking about evangelism and why we think the way to encourage more evangelism isn't more training, but actually more love. So I want to start this episode with a little story. When I was in high school, I took an evangelism class. And the purpose of this class, as you can imagine, was to teach us what evangelism is and how to do it. And the final project for the class was simply to go share the gospel with seven people, seven strangers, in fact, and then to report back with kind of what happened right about it. And I remember that was the most terrifying final exam I've ever had. And I don't want to call it a scarring experience, but certainly um, a lot of fear and trepidation went into that. And, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about evangelism in light of light of that experience, but also just in light of some some conversations I've had a lot more recently. One in particular, it was after a Sunday service at the end of which you had encouraged us as a church to, to go out and share grace with our communities, with our, our workplaces. And I was talking with a friend afterwards and we were kind of wondering, are we doing that right? Are, are, we, are we sharing grace with others? And so one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, when you say that as our pastor, are you telling us to go evangelize? If so... What should that look like? And so wanted to toss around the topic in this episode. What does Grace think about evangelism? Yeah, it's a great question. So I have a, a story I can okay. share that's similar to your story of being potentially scarred <laughs> through evangelism. You have to imagine teenage Mark Bertrand in Houston, Texas on a hot, humid day, because every day in Houston is hot and humid, yeah. walking door to door with the youth pastor. The youth pastor is in a white shirt with short sleeves and a clip-on tie. We're going door-to-door sharing gospel tracts with people, inviting them to come to church. Every Thursday night, the church I grew up in had door-to-door evangelism. That was soul-winning, as it was called, and it was an essential. I mean, it was a duty to go out and, and do this. And I noticed something interesting through that experience, which is Like you, I felt a lot of reluctance to put myself out there. And like you, I have mixed feelings in hindsight about it. Maybe even more mixed than than yours in the sense that through our door-to-door evangelism, we never saw anyone come to to faith. and, And very rarely, occasionally you would hear people, you know, say, oh yeah, this person prayed the prayer, but you'd never see them in church. They would never kind of enter into the body of Christ as a result of this, uh, with rare exceptions. And so 
was one of those things that you kind of did because you were meant to do it, but it made you really nervous and you kind of wish somebody would give you that training and evangelism yeah. so you could overcome those nerves. And I was later on in life in the corporate world and being the antiquarian that I am, I would read these old, you know, salesmanship books and, and they struck me as being really similar in content to old evangelism books. And I think there's some truth to this, that because evangelism was seen as kind of this similar practice, that a lot of the technique was imported over from door-to-door sales technique. You know, you're knocking on people's doors. They don't want to open them. You need a way to get your foot in the door. You need a way to get them to, to seal the deal. You need to be able to answer their objections. And all of those things are familiar to anyone who's taken any sort of class on evangelism. And I think that's why we have some of these conflicted feelings, because it seems a lot like selling. Mm -hmm. And you start to wonder if that's really the way Jesus should be shared. So to circle back to your question, when we talk about evangelism at Grace, the way you would typically hear us talk about it is a term like sharing grace. And when we talk about sharing grace, we might be talking about lending aid to your neighbor in need, physical help and support, serving Christ by serving other people, as the Bible says. But you're also surrounded by people with spiritual need. You're surrounded by people who desperately need to be reconciled to God. And so sharing grace in those instances is sharing Jesus, is sharing a relationship with Christ, sharing the gospel. And that's evangelism. So the the word, the capital E evangelism word, is one that we probably don't use as often as you might hear it used in other churches. We talk about the same thing, but in different words, in order to try to get around a lot of the reluctance that people have with those more salesy, high-pressure techniques, because it's not about selling Jesus. It's about sharing him. Sure. Okay, so I hear you saying that we're used to thinking about evangelism in sort of outdated cultural ways. I guess my question then is, are we supposed to kind of remove ourselves entirely from culture somehow to, to share Jesus with others? Or do we appropriate the more updated culture? You know, right. Should I be tweeting out the gospel as, as evangelism or something like that? No, that's that? a great question. Cause, cause that is kind of the direction that things have moved in. Uh, very few churches do door to door evangelism any longer because they've seen that it's not effective because that's not the way the culture works. Right? People don't even answer their doors more often than not if, if you come knocking because they don't want to be solicited. So we've moved on with the times. Sales happens in a different way, and so evangelism happens in a different way. Now you see a lot more online evangelism, you know, people spreading the word through social media, that sort of thing. And keeping case. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying we have to remove ourselves from culture or that we can't use the same tools as culture. I'm not saying that if 
people are buying billboards to sell things. We can't have a church billboard because it's somehow incompatible. But I do think we need to step back a little bit and be careful about turning, sharing the gospel into too specialized a thing. You know, when we talk about evangelism, a lot of people are reluctant to go down that path because they feel like they don't have enough knowledge. They don't have enough training. If somebody raises objections, they won't know how to answer them. So it's probably better for them not to say anything. And I want to talk about sharing grace in a way that lowers those stakes, that makes it easier to actually share and and pursues what, what I would argue is a more biblical model. You know, if you look in the Bible for examples of people doing evangelism, if you wanted to learn, you know, from the Bible how this is meant to be done, I think the best and most interesting example of evangelism in the New Testament is actually what happens with the woman at the well. She has an encounter with Jesus and we're told that immediately after she goes and she shares Jesus and people flock to him. They report back to her, you know, we at first, we believed because of what you said, but now we've seen for ourselves. But it was her willingness to share that led to their conversion. Evangelism. What's interesting is she doesn't leave the well and then go get some training. She just goes and shares it. She's not at the well and, and, and doesn't have Jesus say, okay, great, I've shared this message with you. Now, I'd like you to make me a list of your seven closest friends, and I want you to go share with them and then come report back to me. There's nothing like that. There's nothing formal about it. She just goes from that place and she shares. Well, why does she do it? If you think about that and you ask yourself, what is it that makes her do this, overcomes whatever reluctance she might have felt, and, and maybe there was some reluctance, it had to be love. She had had an experience with Jesus and, and her heart had opened up. She'd felt this love for him. And so she went and shared him with the people that she loved. To me, that's often the missing ingredient. Like we share the things that we love. We talk about the things that we love and we talk about the things that we love with the people that we love. And so if you hear a charge at the end of a service to go out and share grace and you ask yourself, are we doing that? Is that, am I sharing grace? If the answer to that question is no, then the place I want you to go is not guilt, but love. I want you to think about what you love and who you love and ask yourself if, if maybe you need to love them more. Maybe you need to, to focus on loving the gospel more, loving grace more, appreciating it more, because when you love it, you'll talk about it. You'll share it. And then maybe you need to think about the people you love and try to love them more, because if you love them, but you're reluctant to share with them, you could probably love them more. Yeah. That's really helpful. I think that example of the woman at the well in particular, because unlike a salesman, she's not concerned with either method or outcomes. You know, I, I think the old way maybe of thinking about evangelism was overly concerned about this process of convincing someone to change their mind on the spot and then also that, that outcome. But clearly none of that's going on in her mind. She, I'm trying to remember the phrase, she says, come see the man who told me everything I ever did or something. Right. Well, it's like, this encounter 
with Jesus, which just, you know, blew her world up. And she's just telling them about that encounter. Yeah. And it's not about her. It's not about what she knows. Yeah. She's just pointing them to Jesus. And if you hold on to that idea, I think it removes a lot of pressure, right? You are not Jesus to people. You're the woman, right? You're not meant to be able to answer all the questions. Just testify to what has happened to you. Just, just bear witness about what Christ has done in you. Share what you love. And that puts some of the responsibility, but a different kind of resp- responsibility back on me to, to think about what has Christ done for me, you know? Right. And, and to, to, to know that and to, to let it sink in. It puts the responsibility on you, but I think in a way that you can actually do something with it mm. because it's not saying, you know, Cameron, you must now devote yourself to this program of study where you master all of these various questions that could possibly come up and, and, and learn the right way to speak in this culture at this moment to people about, like you can really ignore all of that and focus on love loving Christ more and loving the people around you because the reality is the things that you share in love, when people see the love that it's coming from, they make allowances for the missteps. They make allowances. Even people who don't want to hear what you're saying can at least acknowledge that you mean well, right? And and that, I think, is a more constructive way of overcoming your reluctance than just seeking head knowledge. I'm, I'm not saying that to discount the knowledge. I'm just saying that we use the knowledge all too often as an excuse not to do something that really should come naturally. So I teach at Worldview Academy during the summers to high school students. And at Worldview Academy, when you show up for camp, one of the experiences that's built into it is evangelism. Midweek on Wednesdays, we take the students out into the world. It might be a college campus. It might be the public square. And they go out and they have conversations with strangers, and they talk about the gospel. They talk about what's wrong with the world. You know, what, what do you think? They listen, and then they share their own thoughts as well. And then we come back and debrief. Sometimes, as a result of these conversations, people give their lives to Christ. It happens. It's not the norm because these are short conversations and that's a huge thing. Sometimes all that happens is a seed is planted. Occasionally somebody gets cussed out and and has a terrible experience, but nobody dies and everybody has this experience of talking about something that, that they just felt like they could never talk about and it's okay. And they overcome that that hurdle. It's easier to talk about after that. There's something, though, that I try to emphasize when I talk to students at Worldview, which is although they're in a camp where they're receiving some knowledge uh, and, and we give them some equipping, you know, that they don't really need any of that to share Jesus with people. And the analogy that I use is this. Uh, every teenager knows someone has some friend who talks about video games way too much (laughs) who was up all last night playing some game and will happily tell you everything that happened blow by blow whether you care or not you can say literally i do not want to hear what you're saying please stop 
and they'll just keep talking because they love it so much. They're not concerned about whether they're talking about video games correctly. They don't go to camp to learn the right ways to talk about video games. They're not concerned about objections you might raise to video games, <laughs> any, any of that kind of stuff. They love it. They are obsessed with it, and so they talk about it. They share it, and you may or may not connect on that level, but at least you see, oh, this is something he really loves. Yeah. I wish we had more of that and less of the sort of clinical quest for knowledge approach when it came to sharing grace. I wish we could just be nerdy Jesus lovers who can't help talking about him instead of thinking that it always has to be this perfect chess game of apologetic interaction, because it doesn't. We believe that the Holy Spirit awakens hearts, that people aren't saved because I said the right words the right way at the right time. It's through the agency of the Spirit. And if that's true, that relieves a heavy burden. I don't have to have the best training. I don't have to have the perfect opportunity. I don't have to wait until the time is right. I can blunder my way out there. I can follow Jesus haphazardly in love and trust him to make up the gaps in my knowledge. Trust the Spirit to give me the words to say, even if they sound like the wrong words and even if they don't sound right coming from my lips. And, and it's, it's God's hands that I put it in. So my obedience, my willingness to talk about him is all that I'm really concerned about in that equation. And I'm not looking at results. I'm not asking myself if it worked. I'm not saying, you know, did he pray the prayer or any of those misleading metrics that have often been applied to evangelism to, to see whether or not it's being done right. It's about loving Jesus and then sharing what I love. So as a pastor, when I see people who are struggling, when I see people who want to share grace but are not doing it, my first thought isn't, okay, I need to give them a guilt trip on how they need to go out and, and do some soul winning. Right? Instead, I want to find ways to try to encourage them to love Christ more, mm -hmm. to see the beauty of the gospel more. Maybe to discover grace more deeply or even for the first time, because as we've said before, one of the, the pitfalls of a church that's focused on recruitment is that we often expect people to share grace before they've actually found grace. Right. And so those are the concerns that I have as a pastor. And, and my job, and, and our job as a church is to be a place that encourages people to love Christ, to love the cross as much as possible, because inevitably, if, if we love it, we share it. I find that extremely helpful. The word organic keeps coming to my mind, that there's this organic process. Like you just said, naturally we share about the things that we love. I think, too, that this way of thinking about it relieves some of the burden of the moment. Think on that, on the old view again, this, this moment, this one interaction with this person is all that matters. And I, I have to change it on the spot. But there's something about this view of sharing what I love without respect to outcomes. 
it kind of broadens, I don't know, broadens the view. You know, I'm, right. I'm aware that God is working in this person's life before me and after me. And I'm here at this time to, to share my love for Christ without, without anxiety. So, and perhaps, you know, if, if God is gracious, I can enjoy a relationship with this person and we can have multiple conversations and, and I can share the way that I love Jesus in lots of different ways. So there's less pressure on this one singular moment at the doorstep or something. You know, I bought a used car recently and <laughs> that's always an anxiety producing circumstance. There's a whole genre of videos on YouTube where people counsel you on how to negotiate a deal like that. And of course, I got a little caught up because I didn't want to make a mistake because you're in that process. You're, you're deciding to make the sale. You've got to negotiate the price. You're doing all of that stuff. There's so many pitfalls, so many things that can go wrong that you really want to have all the knowledge that you have. The stakes are, are just incredible. I think a lot of times that's the way we think about sharing grace. Mm-hmm. We think about evangelism as this high stakes negotiation and it needs to happen at the right moment. We need to catch a person at just the right time. Uh, we need to say exactly the right thing. We need to have a, a real uh, in-depth understanding of, of human psychology so that we can make this work in, in, in the ideal way. And we have this, this tendency to think about it as this purely human transaction. And to forget that what we're talking about is an extraordinary divine miracle. That when people are dead in sin and then are awakened to life in Christ, when a heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh, that's work of the Holy Spirit that we are invited into. Again, more reason to love what Christ does and 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 more reason to want to share it with the people that we love. So there's a place for training. There's a place for knowledge in the same way that there's a place for negotiating tactics, right? right. There's some people that love that, that are drawn to it. And if you're one of those people, then a conversation like the one we're having probably seems crazy. Because <laughs> like, why wouldn't you want to have all of this technique under your belt and all of this knowledge and, and, and go out and use it on people and, most of us are not like that, and it, it doesn't help us to think about sharing our faith in this way. And so when we talk about sharing grace, we're trying to talk about it in a way that helps for most of us to see that there's a way of incorporating this into your life that is as simple as nurturing the love that you already have and helping it to grow. And so you may not hear us talking about evangelism the way that you're accustomed to hearing that topic spoken about. And because of that, you might think we're de-emphasizing the importance of evangelism. But I hope the reality is just the opposite. That the reason why we're thinking so hard about how to talk about this is that we want to emphasize it in a new way. We want to make it easier to share grace with the city that, that Jesus has placed us in by taking a lot of the, the tension and the failure factor stuff out of it and making it as simple as leaning into what you love and sharing it with the people you love.
That's all the time we have for now. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.